Welcome to the July 9th edition of Irish Illustrated Insider with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. I'm Tim Priester and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. I want to warn you guys that I'm going to shut you down as soon as I hear you clicking your pen again during these podcasts. <laughs> so just fair warning ahead of time. Now that's me that's been doing that and my hands are tied to my sides. Uh, Nor name COVID testing. Elite. Up, looking up. <laughs> I was going to say positive, and I, I don't. <laughs> you don't want to use that word, but it, things are positive for Notre Dame because they had all negative tests recently uh, on July 1st when they did the COVID-19 test. Notre Dame will now move into phase two. Joe Alt verbally committed to Notre Dame, and we'll talk about fall football schedule and whether that includes Michigan or not, which, which there are some rumors out there, and then, of course, Stanford having to cancel some sports, but a very positive sign uh, for at least at Notre Dame. Of course, they need healthy opponents in order to play football, <laughs> but zero positive tests uh, out of the last hundred plus here recently. The signature win. <laughs> that's, the one, that's the big one, huh? Yeah. I mean, the test came on July 1st. Uh, I think O'Malley and I were texting about this last week. Like, I'll be curious to see what the next round of tests because it would involve the July 4th weekend, which is, you know, much more of a. Uh, a social event uh, if you're of college age than just working out on campus. But, um, you know, Notre Dame has done, they've, they've sort of kept it under control, which is impressive. I mean, as you see when Ohio State shuts down, North Carolina shuts down. Um, Kansas, Kansas. And I think it sort of gets to, it really gets to one of those questions that I don't, we didn't really get answers. It's like, what's the threshold where you can't proceed forward? You know, if Notre Dame had had three tests or four tests that are positive, would they still be able to keep going? I would think so. But I don't – you know, Clemson is in the, what, 20s and 30s? Um, and they're still practicing. 37. Um, you know, it's Ohio State as much in the single digits, I believe, for football um, and hit pause. So I, Notre Dame is – I guess the best solution is to have zero. So, so, Tim, Notre Dame goes into phase two now. Uh, they, they went from groups of 10 to 30 and 40, which is the big step up. You can get a lot accomplished with 30, 40 guys working at the same time. Yeah, it sure can. And as Pete said, hopefully it wasn't too much of a – I don't know how many guys got away from their groups for the 4th of July weekend, but that was probably the chance to do it. I mean, we saw pictures of we saw pictures of the running backs all together at Lance Taylor's house, and Jack saw – coaches fishing at the lake and things like that. So I think they're, <laughs> you know, obviously they're being more careful that they're really taking it. Their, their methods are working. The methods, I'm sure these other schools had methods, but the, you had to get the players to follow them. Um, the key now is if they can get through that initial conditioning phase where Brian Kelly mentioned, look, we can't just hit the ground running. We are not anywhere near the physical condition we need to be in because no matter what, I mean, he's right. No matter what they did, no matter how studious they were with their workouts, you can't be. It's not football shape. So uh, the assimilation period has to be taken seriously. And then you get to start hearing some good stuff about what they're doing in terms of uh, kind of preparing for a real training camp. And I don't know what the objection was to the student athletes coming back to the campuses, because if you had a whole bunch of positive tests, that happened while they were home. So they're going to an environment where you had a better chance to get them healthy and stay healthy. But Still a long way to go. We'll continue to speculate about that. Uh, but Notre Dame did get a verbal commitment from Joe Alt, the son of John Alt, a two-time pro bowler, 13-year veteran of the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that's our, those are bloodlines that work well in Notre Dame's favor. I think Joe Alt's going to be a fine offensive lineman in time. 
He has to catch up weight-wise. It was the first Notre Dame verbal commitment in about three months. Um, they've had a couple of offensive commitments, uh, both along the offensive line. They haven't had a skill position athlete on offense verbally commit in nine months. But Joe Ald, I think long-term, is going to be a good football player. He has all the ingredients to be that. He has good feet. He has great length. He's just going to need to, to fill out that frame. I mean, I think it's worth uh, looking over, okay, who are the three-star offensive linemen that have signed with Notre Dame under Brian Kelly? These are This is the list. Nick Martin, Brad Carrico, Connor Hanratty, Mark Harrell, Trevor Rulin, Parker Boudreau, Dylan Gibbons, John Dirksen, Luke Jones, Cole Mayberry, Alt, and then Pat Coogan. Um, it's, it's hard to make it at Notre Dame if you're if you're a developmental prospect on the offensive line I think in some ways alt is sort of like the uh you're an Ade Ogundeje kind of prospect where you're really underweight but like there's some good genetic material to work with there in terms of height and length and athleticism Uh, but it's just it's just tough to get there on the offensive line Um, because Notre Dame is you're coming in you're a tackle coming in and out of the class after you had Tosh Baker and Michael Carmody. Um, you know, and you may be, if you consider Blake Fisher to be a tackle, um, you've got to deal with that as well. Um, but in terms of, if you're going to take a developmental offensive lineman, I think that Alt is a, a, a good one to take. You might, so, you might as well take the son of a 13 year NFL veteran. Yeah. yeah. yeah and it's just like, look, he, his dad, I know his dad played at Iowa and that's probably why Iowa was, was hot after him. But Iowa is one of those schools, like if they want an offensive lineman that's developmental, like I, I just take their work and run with it myself. Um, like that's, that's a good event. I just sort of take their evaluation as like, yeah, that's good. If Iowa wanted them, we, we yeah. want them. For, for what it's worth, I think there's a good chance that if, you know, if all, everything being equal and everybody plays football this year, high school and college, I think Alt will probably – reach the four-star level there there's there there's some rumblings about that that happening right now just because I mean if you if you watch him play you can see that he's fundamentally sound and when he just adds weight to that he's got good feet you know he has a tight ends feet uh, which is what his father was um, until you know into his college career uh, but points well taken Pete because three-star offensive linemen are going up against great competition at Notre Dame you know, high four, high four star offensive lineman yeah. many times, and it's it's difficult to succeed. It's tough, no matter what, though. When you say developmental prospect, like Josh Lug finally started a game last year because Robert Hainsey got hurt, and he was a junior going into his senior year. Now, yeah. I mean, Joe Alt's not going to be ahead of that curve, right? Josh Lug came in a lot more ready to play. Liam Eichenberg didn't sniff the field whenever we thought he was. Remember Robert Hainsey and Kramer sure. were they rotating? Yeah. They all take at least two years. So if Joe Alt takes three and a half instead of three, like Josh Lug, that, that's fine. As long, as long as you develop at some point where you're thinking, man, that guy's going to be a good fifth-year player and a fourth-year starter, it's okay to have a guy like Joe Alt. But not many guys are I – mean, you've got to be really good to come in and play as a redshirt freshman, right? Yeah, you do. You're a five-star <laughs> prospect playing as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, that's year two. I mean, year three is right after that. It's, it takes a bit. It's – we're we're hearing changing t- changing topics. Moving on to the next one, we're hearing that we are expecting Notre Dame by the middle of this month to say, "Hey, this is this is going to be the schedule for this fall." Now, 
the news at Ohio State, I don't, you know, the news at Ohio State, them shutting down their workouts. I don't know if this will, in, in other schools, maybe making an announcement the next week that they're going to do the same thing. I don't know if that will alter Notre Dame's uh, fall schedule football plans. I don't know exactly what that fall schedule is going to be. We're going to speculate about how many games there will be. Uh, Pete, have you heard anything about that on your end about Notre Dame and the, the middle of this month stating what the um, schedule is going to actually be? Yeah, I don't, I don't know the timing necessarily. I know they're really kicking the tires on. Okay, if you're a, if you were scheduled to play a Big Ten team non-conference, those are the teams Notre Dame is reaching out to figure out. Okay, is there is there something that we can make work here? Um, you know, I don't have any knowledge that they've reached out to BYU specifically, but that would seem fairly obvious. That one makes uh, sense, yeah. But, um, you know, it, I guess it sort of goes back to what we said two months ago, probably on this podcast, is just like what I think we had collectively heard is there was severe skepticism that they would be able to play USC and Stanford and that the Wisconsin game would get moved at a minimum. Um, I think that all sort of holds today. Um, <laughs> But there's, you know, it's like the Western Michigan game, for example, seems like kind of a no brainer. Western Michigan needs it. You can boss to the game. Travel is low. But like Western Michigan is having problems even getting into their weight room um, due to budget cuts and sort of issues there with with, you know, what they can accomplish. So I I don't really know what the schedule is going to look like. Hey, Tulane had zero uh, positive tests. So maybe that you can get Tulane on the schedule. Um, it's, I think it's just going to be very grab bag um, right now. It's just the, the idea of Notre Dame playing a 12 game schedule, I think feels a little bit wishful right now. Uh, and I'm not even saying like the 12 games they're scheduled to play. I'm saying 12 games at all. Yeah. I felt, I think we talked about it even two months ago that they probably won't get to 12 games because Jack Swarbrick hinted at it. He said, what will the schedule look like? It might not be complete. That, that was, he on, didn't that say was, for, that was on March 19th. Yeah. He, he didn't say that for no that. reason. You just yeah. figured something would happen and he's right. Something's going to happen. He was, he applied an incredible amount of logic to the situation and it's going to play out that way. I think, um, yeah, the, the USC and Stanford games, if those are both played, things have changed, right? If those play out in the future, things have changed since right now. So that would be, you, you would not bet they're playing both games, right? If you had to put your house up, I, I would, no, nope. I would. Yeah, I'm not putting my house on anything, but I would bet. <laughs> no, you have to go one way on this. Oh, one. you do have to. Happen. Okay, well then, I would say they're not going to play USC and Stanford. And I think right now that you know, the, I think where the alterations come, you don't play Georgia Tech in the Atlanta Falcon Stadium. You don't play Wake Forest in the Carolina Panthers Stadium. Uh, Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh. They always play there. So, um, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about more when we get to segment two of the questions, but, but to a large extent, and we're not, we're not completely guessing because we do have some, some Intel and some insight, but uh, no, nothing is firm. Now Stan Stanford canceling 11 sports. We're talking about the 25 year reigning yeah, director's that's... cup champion, 25 years. They've had, they've won the director's cup for the best, Athletics. 36 sports will now be reduced to 25. None of the 11 that were canceled won a national title in the 18, 2018-19 school year or in the first half of 2019. But man, when a, when a school as prominent and successful 
in all sports across the board as Stanford cuts 11 sports. You know that's happening elsewhere among Power 5 schools. And is well-funded. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that everyone's going to lose something, right? Like, that's no, – no one is going to come out of this un, unblemished. I mean, the, it, it, I guess it is worth noting the sports that were canceled. It's, you know, fencing, sailing, squash. Uh, I think men's volleyball was canceled um, from that group. It's not – you know, it's not a – oh, we're cutting women's basketball and men's soccer. Right. Um, but – you know, for Stanford that really like has a cultural identity of, I want to, I, I think I was reading that 11% of students there are varsity athletes um, at the college level, which is crazy. Yeah. Maybe it's 12%. Um, that's, that really cuts to what Stanford tries to be all about. So that, that is, that's significant from a, uh, an identity standpoint for sure. I think there'll be a trickle down effect within the PAC 12 because PAC 12 schools tend to be, tend to have more sports. I mean, yeah. across well, the I mean, they, it's, It is part of their identity, too, the Pac-12. That's, no doubt. So is that, a terrible topic for podcasts. What happened when we just used to complain about, like, backup offensive linemen and <laughs> football the, recruiting? The third, we, we, can go back, we can go back to complaining about football recruiting. <laughs> we'll, be doing that. we'll be doing that topical. soon. It's just a very sad. It's just a, it's an, imagine this conversation in January after the Camping World Bowl talking about 10 game seasons, not playing USC and Stanford canceling sports. We were having a discussion about <laughs> should they move the game from Dublin or not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Will they move it away? Well, in fairness, we were all pretty much like, yeah, they're probably moving that game. So yeah. That was our first, that was our first hit. All right. We have a bunch of questions for segment two. We'll be back with burning up the boards. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Segment two, burning up the boards. We'll start with a question from the real Josh Heddle. If you could compile a staff of former Brian Kelly assistants to make a current staff, how would it look? I'll, we'll go one by one here, starting with uh, what do you want to start with? We'll start with quarterbacks. I don't have a quarterback answer, so I went outside the box for the, my entire 10-man team here. I would have Bob Elliott coach the quarterbacks because nobody else has done a good job. Chuck, Chuck Martin was the quarterback's coach at one point. I'm moving him somewhere else. I have okay. a plan. All right. Okay. Okay. Yep. okay. <laughs> Pete, who do you have? I think I'd, probably, I'd have to go with Chuck Martin. Like Initially, I read this question. I was like, I was going to pair it with current assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that for the most, which maybe says something or maybe it doesn't. But like, I think I, I picked out six, seven assistants from the current staff that I would have on it. Um, but yeah. Since, I, since I'm precluded from selecting Tommy Reese here. You are um, precluded from doing that. Yes, you're not allowed. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Chuck Martin. Yeah, I, I, would, I was kind of half joking with Elliot because I want him on staff, but I would have Chuck Martin as the quarterback coach or Elliot as the special teams coach or vice versa because they're the two best overall coaches I can find to put on the staff that just need to be on the staff somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would go with – why can't you go with Tommy Reese? Well, I think we're, we're just talking about former – 
He needs oh, a career. Okay. Oh, I was saying the podcast would get blow up or something like that if he went with Tommy Reese. But I miss Ryan oh. too. No, I well, would go with Reese. I mean, if if I could choose all of them, I would go with Reese. I think we should change the question and be able to choose from the current staff. I mean, come on. Yeah. We're gonna I think he means the current staff too. Jo- okay. Yeah, he may. Okay, Josh, yeah. we're gonna change it. Tommy Reese is in. Tommy Reese is in. Um, and I know a lot of people will object object to that, but if you think about who were the quarterback coaches at Notre Dame, I would still I would choose Tommy Reese. I might Sanford, choose Chuck. I might choose Chuck Martin. Well, I'm gonna put him on defense, I think, but yeah. Sanford and LaFleur and I know LaFleur's a a head coach in the NFL, but you're taking his time at Notre Dame. Yeah. 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 Strictly upon the one year, one and done year at at Notre Dame and, and Charlie Molnar. I mean, I would, I would choose Tommy Reese, right? I would not choose choose Charlie Molnar. So we can can move on from there. That's good. (laughs) All right. Running backs. We're probably unanimous here. Alford. Yeah. I had another plan for this one. I was going to have Lance Taylor, our running backs coach and Tony Alford, my wide receivers coach. So I have them both on staff recruiting. Okay, that's fair. I'd pick Alford. Um, Alford had a wide receiver become an MVP in TJ Jones. Well, that's right. He was yes, Michael he Floyd was, twice. When he so was he had briefly, three. <laughs> he yeah, had three, when he was briefly wide a wide receivers, receivers coach. Yeah. Uh, tight end slash wide receivers, pass catchers. Uh, well, I'm just doing a tight ends coach, and I'm rehiring Chip Long. Yeah, me too. He's going to listen to these. There are not going to be any fights with the, my coaching staff. I well, have too who, many personal. Who's your offensive coordinator? Chip Long. Okay. Okay. Uh, players, well, I have, I have players' opinions. Long. Players' have, opinions be damned, right? Well, no, because it's <laughs> going to change a little. I assume we all have the same offensive line coach, right? Yeah, I'm uh, sure yeah. we all have Harry Heastan as the so offensive Chip line. Long with Harry Heastan, Lance Taylor, Tony Alford, and we said we'll say Tommy Reese or Chuck Martin. You think that he's going to have that strong of a personality overrunning that entire operation with those guys that he would respect? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think Den Brock. I think I think, I think Mike Den Brock was a good enough coach to be a position yeah. coach. Yep. Maybe you don't want him as your as your play caller per se. Uh, defensive side, defensive line. I think we're <laughs> pretty pretty. <laughs> other on that. Don't, don't even say that. There's only, there's, so only there's only one other option. So Mike Elson's our choice. At D line, linebackers is where I put Bob Elliott. Oh, uh, I was sticking with Clark Lee there. I would stick with Clark Lee too. I, I'm, Elliott's I have, my special teams coach now. I have Clark Lee as as the defensive coordinator. I mean, we're fudging the lines here, obviously. All right, my uh, safeties coach. Who do you guys have? That's where that's where Bob Elliott would fit into me. Okay. Or if if you're not doing Chuck Martin as your quarterbacks coach. I think either of those would be fine. How about you, Tim? Uh, well, considering considering the consistency and the 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 level of productivity of of Elliott and and uh, of Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman, I I have to go with Terry Joseph at safety. Um, I thought of yeah, my people. yeah my deep defensive coordinator is Brian Van Gorder because he was he just did a <laughs> stellar job. Um, no, my course, secondary coach Clark is uh, my secondary coach is Kerry Coombs, mm, which former nice Brian one. Kelly assistants to make up current staff. I'm thinking. Oh, there you go. Okay, I, my great. recruiting staff, and I'm going to add Mike Elko on staff too. So I'm recruiting with Coombs, Elko, oh. Elston, Lance Taylor, Alford, Chip Long. And then Harry I guess Elko could be your safeties coach. Yes, he yeah. could. Exactly. 
He's exactly. there too. He's my guy. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's go. Let's go. To our second question from Irish obsessed. How involved will and should Tommy Reese and the Notre Dame staff be regarding the third party QB coaching being provided to Tyler Butner part. This is a long sentence. It's a question about should Notre Dame control who the quarterbacks use as their quarterbacks coach away from Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, they do now, so the answer is very. How involved? Yes, very. I, I believe they should be very involved, and they should take Tim Priester's uh, advice from two Thursday thoughts ago. To fire Taylor Kelly. Fire the quarterback's coach offseason. Yep. Yeah, if that hasn't happened already. Um, yeah, they do recommend. Coaches do recommend who they should use. Taylor Kelly was recommended. Correct, Pete? Uh, I don't know. If, I mean, not by Notre Dame to Tyler Buckner, but Taylor Kelly was recommended to uh, Brandon Wimbush by Notre Dame. You know, that's that was some that was a connection that Notre Dame helped make. But Tyler Buckner started working with Taylor Kelly because he's good friends with Miller Moss, who's a four star quarterback going to USC. Okay. Um, I don't think that had anything to do with uh, with Notre Dame necessarily. Now coming out of the Elite Eleven, I'm sure Notre Dame would be like, hey. Everything going okay there? Um, you know, that's probably a conversation that you could have. Right. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, I don't know that Brandon, I don't know that there was anything in particular about Brandon Wimbush's delivery that was off. I mean, I, I don't know that I ever, I don't know that I ever looked mm-hmm. at that and said, wow, that, you know, that the elbows here and the release points here and the hand is facing here. He just couldn't hit a damn target. Right. No, you know, I mean, that's a good point. I don't, I don't think. I don't think a lot of people were sitting around saying, here's the issue with Wimbush. You were saying, what is the issue with Wimbush? That's a different situation. With yeah. Dracovic, you, you looked right away. Tim said, sure. look, to Tim's credit, and I kind of balked at this because I felt like they weren't preparing Phil Dracovic for the New York Giants just to play college football. The first pass he threw at Culver as a true freshman, you said, what happened to his release point? And I thought to myself, ah, so hard. And I guess partly correct. It's like, it's so hard to change what he feels comfortable with, which happened multiple times after that sure so you were right part i mean more right than i was but we never saw that with Wimbush. you just thought wow why is he missing and i'm I sure think, there were, it i think it was a footwork thing chip said at some point right with with Wimbush, a lot of it was footwork yes yeah, yeah yeah now i i don't know that i necessarily can speak to that but <laughs> as far as his delivery I, I i didn't i didn't think that that was <clears throat> that was the problem with him um with, with Dracovic, I mean, he 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 was so all over the place the whole time. Yeah, and and he, you know, he had a long coming out of high school. He kind of pulled his arm away from his body. I thought a little too much, like he whips um, it almost whipping motion. Yeah, you know, and and Buckner's I Buckner's never really came directly over the top. Has never really come directly over the top, but it really slid down. Um, during the Elite 11, and so something has to be done there. Irish from A2, over, under on number of games Nordane plays this year, over, under on number of games Nordane plays outside of the Midwest this year? Well, I think as these over, under questions uh, should always be thinking, like, if you were trying to create a line that would generate action on both sides. Correct, yes. Right, um, right, right. I think eight and a half would be a good – line to create action on both sides i was nine and a half 
but you're nine probably, and a half would be mine also. Yeah. I, but the problem with nine and a half, I guess why Pete's at eight and a half is you're, we're already both two down if we're guessing. Right. So it's at 10, Yeah. but that's, but yeah, I would probably say nine and a half for action, but Pete eight and a half makes sense too. So we can work on both of those outside of the Midwest. Be at nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, outside of the Midwest, there's only three options now. If we're throwing away USC from this, um, there's Wake, there's Pitt, and there's Georgia Tech. Oh, and Navy. I'm sorry, Navy. There's four options, but I think Navy's going to happen. You know, I think, and we'll get to this. I think we have a question later. And the ACC games will happen, or they'll certainly try. Yeah. Um, so I would. Their names that they'll play. Their games outside. <laughs> I think. If, I think you set the over under at nine, and the games will still be played outside the Midwest. The games that are scheduled, they just won't be necessarily in pro stadiums. Yeah, I think that USC is going to be the only loss that uh, <laughs> was. I guess Wisconsin was in the Midwest anyway, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I, Atlanta, Charlotte, um, Annapolis, I guess Pittsburgh. I get you know. I will trade you. Uh, um, I think those those will get played. I'll trade you two trips to the southeast of uh, Atlanta and Charlotte for one trip to LA. No, we we know where you stand on that, Tim yes. O'Malley. Okay. I'm going. Doesn't matter. Speaking of which, my new favorite player. Oh, uh, Ace, Ace. What do you, how do you say this? Akaloose. Akaloose. But the update of Chris Tyree putting on good weight, is there a chance he becomes RB1? I, I saw him. And I mean, he, I would, I, to me, he looks a good 185. And a 185. You can be a you can be a number one running back now. Whether it happens right away, you know, you have other guys with with other skills and things they can do. And, and I mean, hell, you got so many running backs, you got to you got to yeah. use them. I, I mean, I think it'll be committee, but I don't want to be facetious. But what are the other guys' skills that are you can point to for sure going into this year? Jafar Armstrong's ability to catch the football certainly. Yes, for one. I, I, I didn't think about that. I was thinking running you know, his running skills is assuming the name assume, of his position. You were thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I like the way he ran before the abdominal surgery. So I'm, I'm hoping that's why he looked like he was so stiff last year when he came back. But if he looks at anything like that, he's not going to beat anybody out. Right. As a running back. He had 58% uh, I mean, of his carries were stuffed last year. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth, I, I understand what you're saying. Like he looked good for the, you know, when we saw him in the spring in the previous yeah. Louisville. But we we talked about this on podcasts like last August when you're sitting there and be like, all right, when's Jafar gonna beat out Tony Jones? It never happened. And he was healthy then. So I think that you know, it might be a little bit revisionist history, but I think you gotta look back on last August and be like, Do we just like sort of over do we overvalue this one? Um possibly. well we overvalued him because we had him very high. Doesn't mean he can't be a good running back. But we, we had him like, yeah. Pete, we were asked a question on the podcast, will he have over 1,200 total yards? And we both said over without blinking. Yeah, I, I was well, super high on him. Yeah. And that well, was a yeah, I mean, he got hurt in the first game. so Right, it, but that's a lot of yards. You know, I mean, no, a, it, it, yeah. it is. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I think I've said this before that I think of the group, and now Trevor, States, Trevor Spates joins the group. I think, I think Sebo Flemister is the most natural running back. Now, I totally agree how with that, you. How totally that translates, agree. you know, I don't know. He had, you know, had five rushing touchdowns and very few opportunities last year. Jamar Smith is probably, well, besides uh, Armstrong, 
is fundamentally sound the least uh, of that group. Um, yeah, Jameer Smith, um, somebody asked about him being the uh, – who's going to be the short yardage back. Jameer Smith is one for six on third one last year. They tend to give the ball to Sebo Flemister on the goal line, both yeah, in I think games and in – I think Sebo's the guy that has a nose. Too. Brian Kelly even said uh, the spring where we kind of like – when Sebo kind of made a couple plays last year, but he seemed like the distant fifth because Kyron Williams was having a good spring as an early enrollee. Yeah. He said something about, like, you know, Sebo is a, the guy that just gets low and doesn't go down from first contact. Now, I don't think he has a lot of spectacular in him, but you don't need a lot of spectacular if he'll give you 12 carries of 61 yards. You know, that's – and especially then if Chris Tyree can, can make an impact this year and Jafar Armstrong can catch the ball. And, and I agree they got to use all the guys, but I don't know what – Chris Tyree has a differentiating factor I'd like to see be on the field for 15 snaps. Mm-hmm. If you're well, you know I I don't if you're if Armstrong's healthy and you have Tyree, I I, I don't see both Flemister and Smith playing equally, right? Right. No, I agree. I and agree. then I, you know I I hope I'm wrong. I've been on record saying many times that I I there are a lot of people that are very high on Kyron Williams, and I just don't see the skill set to be that high on him, other than a other than as a pass receiver. So we'll he, see. he has looked best as a pass receiver rather than runner last correct last, certainly correct. last August yeah. Uh, Kay Beasley, you don't hear much on voluntary workouts. Is it primarily just weights and conditioning, or is it Ian Book working on the field with receivers? It's only been up to this right. point. It's only been a group of ten at a time. It will become Ian Book working on the field with receivers, but yeah, they are they are in the beginning well, phases but, of it. But he's been throwing to receivers. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. They get together on their own. Yeah, with, I mean, with Bennett Skoranek went up to California during the lockdown right. stuff to work with Ian Book. Right, um, you know, Ian Book Which got is, together with Brock Wright Brock and Chris Wright. Fink yeah. in Texas. That's um, one of the reasons yeah, why I think I think Skoranek's going to play a big role is because is partly because of that that relationship. That yeah, I think that they, they didn't get a they chance have, to develop in the spring. Yeah, I I kind of feel like they have a good relationship regardless of whether the spring practice happened or not. Um, I think they're pretty like-minded. I know Book and Skoranek spent a bunch of time together when Skoranek visited in December. Um, I think they're very similar kind of personalities. Um, they clearly got along. I mean, it's like first Skoranek to go out to California is yeah. pretty significant. Yes. Yeah. I, lo- I, mean, I think people are underestimating the value of Skoranek's size. I mean, 6'3", 220 something. I think also that's he's he, done stuff in college football games and yes, some much really like, good that's stuff. It. He's some Notre Dame's leading returning receiver. Individually, combine all the other ones. That's he right. He's coming up soon to the countdown. No spoilers. <laughs> very, very soon. Uh, question from Maddie Hebes 14. What former three-star recruit, not named Ian Book, do you feel will have the biggest contribution this season? Uh well, the, I would say, including Ian Book, Jeremiah Wusu koromo will have a pretty good contribution this season. Um, There's a bunch to choose from. Ade Ogundeji is the composite. Yeah. Ade Ogundeji, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa and Tommy Tremble are all very impactful players that are three stars. They might have more three stars in the top 15 of our countdown than four stars. Drew White. Yeah, I mean, there's not, that's four right there. The MTA technically a three star, or he just. He's over to the four yes. stars. He was a composite three star. All right. Yes. I mean, that's that's six three stars that I can think of that are obviously in the top fifteen. Heinish. 
Seven. Uh, yeah. Skoranek. <laughs> didn't quite make it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had, where, yeah. where did we list him? Uh, he's today's. Just oh, hopefully I'll get today. that out. Okay, yeah, that's right. you hopefully that. I get that out before we have the spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, there's plenty to choose from. And there's a bunch of good ones. Is that a good thing, though, what I just said, that seven of the 15 best players are three-star developmental prospects? It's a good I know thing. they're all veterans, so it it's really a, helps. They're veterans. It's, they're not it's a good thing in terms of the job that the, the coaching staff is doing in developing them. Right. Overall. It's not, it's not in terms of overall? competing with Ohio State and Clemson. Right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for Pete to, to chime in on that one. With the... It's like, I was as I was going through counting down Notre Dame's schedule, and you're looking at Clemson, I was like, man, they lost a lot on defense. Like, like, oh, they have four five-star defensive ends that they have to figure out which one is the best. Um, that's a that's a that's a place Notre Dame is not. That is a good relevant question. Who is the best three-star on Clemson starting? The, who are the five best three stars on Clemson this year, and will they be playing a significant mm-hmm. role like Book Ade, Usu Koromoa, Tremble, and MTA? Well, not not to that extent. No, I mean it's nobody at the offensive skill positions. Um, yeah, was I? I you know, Isaiah Simmons is gone. I think he was a three-star prospect, but I, not, that's a, I that's don't know. The greatest, that's the greatest three-star prospect I've ever seen. Yeah, that's that's Tyler <laughs> Eifert and Isaiah Simmons are the best three stars. Oh, in the of the cow. Point, right? Insane ND Tucson. I'm excited to see what Ade Gundeji can do this year in a starting role. It seems when he's in the game, he creates havoc and good things happen. Over under. Seven and a half sacks. I got three of them. Uh, over under seven and a half sacks. Uh, under, they tend to get shared. Yeah, under. I agree with that. Three force fumbles. He actually had that last that's year. That's a so. lot. Yeah, he did. That's, that's yeah. a lot, though, in a year. All right, let's say they play 12 games because otherwise these stats are all skewed. You know, we can't. Right. It's really hard okay, to do. So right. I, will say, on that. I will say push. I think he forced two or three the year before, too. I'll Pete, say push. I'll go. I'm going to go under on all three of these. Okay. Um, the, the, I think the third one is I think he's a good player, and it's going to have a good season. But it, like, if he finishes with six sacks and two forced fumbles and 14 tackles for loss, I think that would still be yeah, very 15 good. Year. And a, Fifteen and a half was the line set on tackles for loss. Man, that's a, that's a that, lot. That's a big that's number. The, that's the Kelly era record, um, Sheldon Day, and it's more than Manti had, and I believe it is the record since Justin Tuck. I think Hoyt had 16 and a half somehow as a senior year, which is amazing for a guy that was also a three-star, right? And just made a great yeah. senior year out of himself. But not many guys get there. And Ade will, I'd say Ade and Ogundeje will be nine and a half tackles for loss and a solid 25 stuffs like Kareem had, you know, that type of thing where he's and making I, plays. I, I've said this a couple of times and nobody has told me this, but it just makes sense to me that, especially if a Gufo and, and, and uh, a Gofu, I'm sorry, and, and Foskey develop that Dalen Hayes gets some snaps over uh, at the big end spot with Ogundeji. I mean, I, I, that to me, that just makes sense. And so if that proves to be the case, then Ogundeji gets, uh, you know, less snaps than he would if Justin Adamiola was the backup, right? And he's probably a better player because he's fresh and they have better sure. one, two punches. Sure. So I think 15 and a half is a, is a lot. Gerard. Does Notre Dame have a better chance of making the final four and even winning a national championship if this upcoming college football season is played in the spring instead of the fall? 
my logic and reasoning is that schools like Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia would be most likely to have many of their top players opt out of college football in the spring because they will be high draft picks in 2021. Pete? Um, hmm. I don't, you know, it's I was thinking about this question answer. a bunch yesterday, and it's like, it. It certainly would help Notre Dame relative to Clemson and USC, right? Um, but, you know, what what happens with Ian Book or Liam Eikenberg? Ian, Book, Ian Book's not coming back for a six-year. Awusu yeah, Koromoa is going not, to no. say, you know what, I was going to leave after this year anyway. I'm leaving. I, yeah. I just think, okay, are there more highly rated players who are going to play in the NFL at those other schools? Yes. So are they more likely to leave and go to the NFL? What, what, Tim? Yeah, there are more highly rated sure. players at Clemson, sure. Ohio State. However, there's all more highly rated players behind them to come up and beat Notre Dame when Liam Eikenberg, Ian Book, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa and Adi Ogundeji go pro. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I don't – like, I don't <laughs> – like, if you're Adi Ogundeji or Liam Eikenberg or Jeremiah Wusu koromoa I think that you probably are looking to put more on tape – um, they are, but like Ade even made a choice last year. I know it was a choice he never should have made, but like we asked him about it before the Camping World Bowl, and he's like, I'm going to talk to my parents. I mean, you know, he leaving would have been the most ridiculous thing, but it was in his mind. So I assume yeah, it's in his mind again. It's, like, like, yeah. it's such a weird set of circumstances. I, I don't know how you would process this if you're a, a pro prospect or right. an aspiring pro prospect. Well, Trevor Lawrence would leave, which would help Notre Dame beat Clemson. Uh, Certainly. Sean Crawford would leave. Um, Dalen Hayes would leave. I mean, you know, I mean, those other teams would be gutted of more established players. But I just don't, I, I just, at the end of the day, well, first of all, at the end of the day, I don't spend much time thinking about that. I mean, that's, that's phase whatever down the road before. Now, when, when they, if and when they cancel the fall, okay, then I start giving that a little bit more thought about who's staying and who's leaving. But even that is just a total roll of the dice in a, in a crapshoot. You know, this goes back to um, when the USFL came out a very long time ago. I just thought of this. And the health of players, if you play in the spring and then you're playing in the fall, I mean, that ruined some players in that 1984 range because guys, I think it was Mike Rogier went from Nebraska to the USFL to the Houston Oilers in like a, 28 month span of playing football. A lot of guys, you can't play all spring and then play in August and September and October, no. November, right? I, it, yeah, no. well, I mean, I it's mean, like that's... if you played a 10, don't you think if you played a 10 game schedule in January, March. February, March, obviously that that is your spring practice that you could still play in the fall? You may have to. <laughs> well, you'd be fresh. You know, I guess it's a good point that you could play football starting January. 31st because you haven't played you didn't just come off the whole season stuff like right that. yeah like, yeah. like mike rogier the mike rogier example is he essentially played three right, seasons right. in 18 months yeah 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 that's not and that's not what would be happening here okay interesting question from wash nd out of julian okwara Khalid kareem dalen hayes and Ade gundeji who do you think will wind up being the best nfl player okwara. i know who you're gonna i knew i knew you were gonna say that Aquara. He has a coveted skill yeah. set. 
he has a, he has a skill that's better than any one of the other ones, individual skill. I think Colin Cream's the better all around football player. Me too. I do too. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll have a better because of that one skill, that pass rushing skill. Yeah. Um, um, Kareem. I'd, I would still pick Kareem just because I, I, I love the well-roundedness of his game. Number one, number two, you can't, you can't injure the guy. You can't no, get the, the guy He's... off the field. He is the ultimate warrior on the football field. And so that's why my, that he's my choice, but I understand where both of you are coming from in terms of that, that not, not only a great skill, but one of the most highly coveted skills yeah. in the game. I think we have so much respect for Khalid Kareem and that he is a more well-rounded football player, but I, there's a, it's such a uh, specialized game now. I mean, Julian Aquara could be D4 quickly. You know, those type of players that are good on Kansas City and really good on the 49ers and they're playing in Super Bowls and having a major role in it. Khalid Kareem, I, just want, I don't want to say this out loud because I already have one guy out there in my 10-year plan for the NFL, but Khalid Kareem's a guy that could play, you know, six to 10 years. How's that, Pete, in the NFL? And Isaac Michelle is still going strong, so. I agree with that. I mean, I, I'm not going to say 10 years. No, it's hard for me to predict anybody 10 years. I, you know, I'd have a hard time predicting Isaiah Simmons for 10 years just because it's just so damn long, but um, you know, and I, and like, you know, I don't want to, no disrespect, but did I see Dalen Hayes' name on a preseason all American team? Yeah, that happened. Well, you saw Tommy Kramer's last year too. Yeah. You know, that's a very highly touted. Yep. It's a recruiting ranking plus a guy they've heard of still plus total career starts plus fifth year senior. That's how, yeah. it, that's how it gets on those. Plus, great leader of the Notre Dame football program. Great leader. They, uh, I he just played don't well think... in the Cotton Bowl against Clemson. I mean, there's film of him. You know, yeah, it's just I, just don't, I just don't see the skill set that translates to the NFL, at least not for, not for an extended period of time. Uh, Tim, go ahead. B54. I'm glad I get to read this one. What happens with Jeff Quinn if they miss on Rocco Spindler? Will other OL offers go out, or will, he, will the staff stick with three, assuming an elite guy doesn't decommit and show interest in Notre Dame? After passing last cycle, why is Clark Lee down to Prince Collie as the only linebacker? Also, anger. All right, let's yeah, let's <laughs> let's start with uh, let's start with Jeff Quinn. I, what what happens to him? I I don't. They take him out back, and he wasn't I, on our all time Kelly team. No, no, he was not. He was not. I, I what what Pete? What happens to Jeff Quinn if they don't get Rocco Spindler? I think he's going to get the side eye on a bunch of message boards. Um, but but I think but I think the question is, as it relates to his employment at the University of Notre Dame. Like I think this reminds me of a loose emoji question of Brian Kelly about T.J. Jones, and it was about like him being punished after the house party in like 2011 or something. And <laughs> Lou was like, "Hey, so like, what was what was the punishment?" And Kelly was like. Do you want to know if we like spanked him? Um, I think is it. I mean, is that that's for what you know? Is, is Jeff Quinn going to have to like do up downs in the office? Um, probably not. I you know it just it He's will also be not bad, going to get fired. No, it's a it will be a bad recruiting cycle for Notre Dame on the offensive line when it should have been a great one. And I think it would really it would hurt Notre Dame's credibility that, you know, Jeff Quinn is, is bringing more to the recruiting table than what Harry Heastan was, which was sort of how that was advertised when as like, okay, well, you know, it doesn't have the expertise as like a technical guy, but like 
could be a, a an upgrade in recruiting that would that would sort of call that into question. I think there are probably seven or eight. I might be wrong. Regular Notre Dame podcasts, right? That publish a lot. He will lead off every single one of them. That's what will happen to Jeff Quinn if they don't get Rocco's Fiddler. That will be the exact repercussion for him. And the second question about Prince Colley and, and him being the only linebacker after not getting any uh, last year. So next year, Drew White and Bo Bauer will be down to one year. Jordan Jen Markeith will be gone. Owusu Koromoa could be gone or down to one year. Paul Mawala will be down to one year. I mean, it's a yeah. – Shane Simon will be down to one year. This is why I had Mike Elko on my staff, by the way, when we did our little Brian <laughs> Kelly thing. Why is that? Because he made sure that there was never a shortage of linebackers? He can recruit. Oh. He goes out and gets them. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I have to wonder and, – and the next question involves Prince Collie, and I'll say it right now. I think they're nor, I think Nording will sign, end up signing Prince Collie. Um, but it just does seem like it's getting to be a pretty – skimpy group unless you're intending to move some safeties up to the next level and I don't think they're going to be in a position to do that either yeah I don't I don't have an explanation for the linebacker I know Notre Dame is confident in sort of where they stand with it but just in terms of a numbers game it's um pretty light well you they they obviously you better totally believe in Osita, Kwanu, J.D. Bertrand, Maris, Leofau, and Jack Kaiser. Yeah, I mean, that's that, and that's part of it that we just <laughs> – I know Kaiser Kaiser was one of those guys that when he showed up, the staff was like, oh, okay, this is this is a steal. Um, they were very high on him from the get-go. So maybe, maybe that makes the rover position less essential. They, and, I mean, to be fair, their scholarship – numbers right now in terms of the 85 man limit it's, there's not a lot of wiggle room like in in some ways I'm confused about the second tight end um like I, I would rather that that go somewhere else but um it's not like they have room to just sign as many defensive prospects as they want and they're and they're hurting in the secondary it's that's really where they need to invest the most Kaiser Wilhelm uh, no I'm sorry uh you're, You're in, in danger. danger. You're in danger. <laughs> if you had a if you had to wager a week's paycheck, what's most likely to happen? Nordame signs Rocco Spindler and Prince Collie, or Nordame signs David Abiara? The former. What do you think, Pete? Um, probably the former. It's a good question. It's a fu- it's it, a fun it question. A, a fun I, I would question. I would lean towards the first one because I think they're going to get Prince Collie. Yeah, and I'm still more than fifty percent confident that they're going to get. <laughs> at one point, it was like ninety five percent. I'm still more than fifty percent confident they're going to get Rocco Spindler. You're more than fifty percent hopeful. We don't have an entire podcast about Rocco Spindler going somewhere else. It's really <laughs> what you are. So that's why we're going former, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I mean, some people say, well, he's a guard. You can get another guard. <laughs> All I, You're not going to get another guard, at least not at this stage of the recruiting process, nearly as good as that guy. No, I mean, well, it's like all of these. If they lose Prince Colley, they're not going to find another linebacker like him. If they lose David Everard, they're not going to find another defensive end like yeah. him. True, true. True, very true. Kaiser Wilhelm, if a large number of F- FBS conferences make the decision 
to move to conference only schedules, do you think Notre Dame has the clout, goodwill to ensure a seat at the ACC's table if it came down to it? Yes, I agree. I, I don't think it's too I, much of a question. I, I mean, I just people think that Notre Dame's relationship with the ACC is adversarial. I mean, I'm sure that there's that we know that Mike Shashevsky spoke out when Notre Dame joined in basketball, but Notre Dame is a they're not a full partner with the ACC, but they're a partner. I mean, anytime there's any conversation that goes on within the conference, Jack Swarbrick's part of the conversation. So Notre Dame's relationship with the ACC is very good. The only thing that we're certain of, provided that things don't go completely haywire, is Notre Dame's going to play all their ACC games this fall. Yeah, it's like if they lose, um, you know, if they lose Wisconsin, lose Stanford, lose um, USC, I don't, I have not mined the ACC schedules of teams Notre Dame is not currently scheduled to play, but I'm assuming there are some that play Big Ten teams, and maybe you can find a way to pick up um, you know, NC state or uh, Florida state or, you know, play Virginia again. I don't really know, but it seems like that's if, if Notre Dame was looking for potential workarounds and scheduling um, picking up another ACC game, just as like, Hey, do you want a game with good ratings that people care about? <laughs> right, right. We'll help you out with that. No, those, um, those are candidates. <laughs> I think some big 10 teams could be candidates. BYU definitely is. We've talked about that um, because they're scheduled to play Stanford on the weekend. Notre Dame scheduled to play USC. Uh, but I just wanted to, I, you know, I think there's the, the the perception out there that, you know, Notre Dame is still at odds with ACC, and I, and I and I'm sure there's some there's some coaches that don't like the idea. The coaches in the ACC don't like the idea of Notre Dame being a part of it. But that's not how the relationship works. They chose to bring Notre Dame into a partial relationship with them. They have a good relationship with the ACC. Well, yeah, I, don't think, I don't think Pat Narduzzi has a lot of sway uh, with John Swafford's office about Notre Dame stealing bull bids and putting Pitt in the quick lane bowl while Notre <laughs> Dame gets the, what is, I don't even know what's called. It's the Cheez-It Bowl now. It is the Cheez-It Bowl. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> I would, imagine, I would love you to imagine. I would love to imagine Notre Dame playing a football game right now. Notre yeah, Dame's going true. to the Cheez-It Bowl. Can yeah. you imagine? I was going to say, outcry? if you'll give me a season, I think Notre Dame should play Clemson in a home-and-home home, as long as I get to watch some good football this yeah, year no because kidding. they don't need to win a national title and have fun. Question from Buster Bibbon. Who will be the starting left tackle in 2021 for Notre Dame? Hmm. I, think, I mean, I want to put Josh Lug there, but then I'm – Wondering, like, don't they need a starting right tackle as well? Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, Lug is one of them, right? So Quinn Carroll will be a year removed from surgery in August, um, a year removed from eh, – lost a lot of development with COVID. <laughs> Look, he got hurt in August and then had COVID, so he is going to be more behind than a regular left tackle. Tosh Baker will be a redshirt freshman. We said how hard that is. But I would say Quinn – so the only other option really is Andrew Kristoff. could be a thirty-year player that's been healthy. Now there's a, there's there's another there's another option, and it's their starting center. Yeah, Jarrett Patterson. You think mm-hmm. could be left or right tackle, yeah. and then Zeke Carell. It's probably more likely that Lug and Patterson are their tackles, with Banks and the next best guard, and Zeke Carell as the center. I mean, it's from a skill set skill set standpoint. I, I 
I see Tosh Baker, but that's as we said, it's redshirt freshman beating exactly. out. I mean, no, exactly. Josh Lug, the fifth year senior. Exactly. That, you know, yeah. Baker. So I, you know, I mean, I think Patterson, uh, Carroll, Christophic. I'm not sure you go beyond that, do you? Lug. He said, yeah, Lug, Lug. yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Lug. Yeah. But I tend to, I think I tend to agree with Pete on that, that, you know, he did a, you know, if you watch Lug, those five games that he started, he did a great job pass blocking. I think he'll be the starting right tackle still. Yeah. I, yeah, I think obviously so. The option to move. I think so. So who's your fifth guy? Let's say Lug, Patterson, Zeke Carell, and Banks start. Who's your fifth starter in 2021? You know, I've always been partial to Dirksen, but Dirksen hasn't made a, a real strong move yet. Can you protect Carroll a little bit and have him play guard if he's healthy? Could yeah, do that. I, yeah, I would. I would just take the whoever's is the third tackle and move him to guard. That's what I meant. Yeah, I think I agree. Third tackle goes to guard. And he can become a tackle if he needs to be in the future. Hey, they're all they're all tackles when we get recruited. Don't don't. None of those, none of those guards are Quentin Nelson on the bench right now. Or they're, I mean, they're not even Alex Bars, um, who Aaron is a really good player. Aaron Banks was listed as a tackle, right? They all are tackles. They, all, they what, are all. It was Mike McGlinchey told us we were all tackles, man. We were all tackles at one point. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, to keep getting back to a comment you made, Pete, much earlier, I, I, Blake Fisher is a guard. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, right? I don't think. He looks yeah. like he looks like a, a Quentin Nelson kind of build. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that you try to force fit that to, to, to tackle. I don't mean to be indelicate, but they tell people they get to play the position they want when they're recruiting him. I mean, Quentin Nelson was told he would play tackle. He became the best yeah. guard in the history of the planet. It's okay to move <laughs> and become a great player somewhere else. Like, he literally was told you'll play tackle. Alex Bars came in and was playing tackle instead of Quentin Nelson at a camp at Notre Dame because Nelson was already signed. And they're playing Alex Bars the whole time at tackle. And it was an unhappy group of Nelsons. And they both play guard and both became better at guard. So right. it's fine if Blake Fisher plays guard at Notre Dame and starts Pete, for three years. He'll be Pete, cool. No, that would be no, and he'll he'll be very good at guard. Pete, remember when we were in Chicago for the the camp, uh, the the rivals camp, and I remember making the comment, man, I I I, I really like Alex Bars, but man, I he's I don't think he's a tackle, he's a guard, and boy, I got I got some looks for for saying that. Nobody wants nobody wants to hear that. But it's just it's the reality, man. There's two guards and two tackles on the field at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Always. Every snap, always. <laughs> it's unlike the offensive when we're trying to fit our three tight ends and four wide receivers. There's going to be two guards and two tackles yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, our last question wrapping up is from Terry Benedict. And the question, well, first there's a statement, and that is eight weeks until September 5th. What do you think? Uh, y- yesterday was – uh, you know, yesterday being Wednesday, July 8th was probably the most depressing day uh, since the NCAA tournament was canceled from a sporting that was, perspective. That was, a, that was worse. That was a bad, a bad thing. Oh, yeah. That was by far worse. <laughs> you did say six. But when you, when you combine, like, the Ivy League canceling their fall sports with Ohio State and North Carolina suspending their workouts and Stanford cutting 11 sports – that was a bad. I mean, it was just a bad day. So yes, yesterday I was not. I was not feeling good at all. Um, so that's where I am right now. Is that why your tweet "not good, Bob" came out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not great, Bob. <laughs> not great, Bob. Yeah. Uh, I think September fifth, or hopefully sixth, 
Notre Dame will play Navy. I still think they'll play that game. I like the idea of playing on I, Sunday. So I, I also feel that. I feel Saturday. like Notre Dame will play Navy, but I just yesterday was rough. Right. I'm just trying to keep it positive. And the fifth, they, fifth or sixth, they'll play Navy. I hope it's the sixth, so we all get to watch football the fifth, wall to wall, and just cover a game on Sunday. If Jack Swarbrick's listening, please make that happen. And if this said no, Clemson, what do you think? I would I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, I think they'll play Navy. Um, you know, and Pete, you mentioned some, uh, one of your guys from the Athletic wrote about revenues generated by conference. In uh, the Ivy League, was at thirty million. The Big Ten was a billion. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I mean, I, it's like that's so, lost. Like the risk versus reward. Like the Ivy League has the same risk as everybody else. Well, actually, more risk because they don't they can't afford testing. Um, and very little reward. Like the Big Ten has has less risk because they can right. test and have right. facilities and all that, and they have a huge reward. So I bring that up because I don't necessarily think that, although I felt exactly the way you felt yesterday, and it was in last Thursday's uh, Thursday Thoughts that I wrote for the first time, man, I'm really discouraged about the way this is going. And then yesterday was like piling on. That was yeah. incredible. But my point about the Ivy League is that they're not as dependent of they're not anywhere close as dependent upon the revenue generated by a football season in the fall. So it's easier for them to make that, to make that call. Yeah. And they cannot, they do not have the capacity to test their players the way that Notre Dame and like higher end uh, schools can. Like if, if the news of, to me, in some ways, the news about Ohio state was more troubling than the Ivy league. Because I think has every advantage to test and quarantine and like keep people isolated and and you know keeping their facilities clean, and the fact that they ran into a situation where they felt like they had to suspend workouts, like to me that was more troubling than Columbia not playing football. This and every instinct to protect the football season at all costs for Ohio State too, right. with good reason. Yeah. That's. That was why I thought when I read that, that was the first one when I read it. I, was, I mean, I, I thought the Ivy League news was coming for a week. Yeah. When I read the Ohio State news. I was just, that was, kind of blew me away. We had a subscriber comment that last week's uh, Thursday thoughts, everyone was negative. It's a, we're, we're living in a very negative world right now as it relates to all the topics and things that, uh, that we deal with and, and uh, our livelihood. So. Looking and for some good news, but and hard now to we're find. moving. We're piling on, man. We're moving all the favorite tackles to guard, and pretty soon they're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, be. but they got a verbal commitment from Joe Alt. They won't be twenty-five year tackles. Good news, starters. Best twenty tackle you've seen in twenty-five years. Started guard. Joe Alt. I will promise that Joe Alt's verbal commitment is in Priester's Thursday thoughts. So not every, not every uh, you were positive about it. I, I, <laughs> I actually I was because I think he'll okay, be a good football. You. Yeah, no, I know I I was, but. But your points about three-star offensive linemen is a little bit sobering, so I got I got that as well. We appreciate everybody joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider on July 9th. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.